0: Thank you so much for listening to Honestly Unorthodox. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast but just don't know where to start, have no fear. Pretty Easy Podcast is here to get your podcast off the ground and sounding great at an extremely affordable rate. Pretty Easy Podcast helps new and seasoned podcasters by providing production, editing, and podcast management assistance. With pretty easy podcasts, you can focus on your show's content while having a reliable tag team partner handle any and all of the technical aspects of podcasting to help your show sound great. As someone who clearly loves to hear themselves speak, I am completely uninterested in learning all of the mechanics of the technicalities of podcasting, the editing, and even the uploading of certain digital material that's needed to make this podcast sound as great as it does. And Pretty Easy Podcast has taken care of all of that for me and they continue to indulge my love for getting all of this information out to you without any stress and any concern. You can go to prettyeasypodcast.com and get started today. Working with Alan and Melissa really has helped me avoid these roadblocks that so many podcasters run into with the recording, the editing, the feed management. Whether you're new to it or you already have a show, going to prettyeasypodcast.com really makes podcasting just that pretty easy. And now, let's get to the show. He who fights monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster. I am on the unfettered pursuit of truth. I'm Kayla Perry, and this is Honestly Unorthodox. Everybody, welcome back to the show. Panelist Dominique, she returns by popular demand. Dominique, welcome back, baby. (laughs) Hello.
1: Hello.
0: Okay, I'm going to start us off, Dominique, with a question that I somewhat posed in my post today. Do you think everybody should see a therapist?
1: Oh, okay. That's a good question. I saw it today. Mm -hmm. And I had to think about it. Because I was like, I initially saw it and I was like, well, I feel like having a stigma around therapy wasn't the right decision. Or it wasn't the right you know like direction to go in either as a society like i think like yeah you know the destigmatization of mental health and mental well-being right. is on whole a good thing absolutely um,
0: i agree right
1: but does uh, your question was does everyone need therapy um I would phrase it, does that, should
0: everyone go to therapy? So not even necessarily do they need it, just should everybody go? Because that seems to be the suggestion.
1: Yes, I think, um, I think the way that therapy is today and like the, you know, the the professional, the the profession it is today, Mm -hmm. I would say no. Because I think it's kind of, you know, become something that is unhelpful to a large amount of people. Um, and I don't know, that's the question. Like, my mom's a therapist, right? And she, 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 I think she questions this within her own practice too. Like, is therapy really the answer? She's also very much, in, you know, into the psychedelics. Mm-hmm. So she's like, is that more helpful than therapy? And then additionally, what characteristics in a person kind of um, make them good candidates for uh, therapy as a treatment? And one of them I think she came up with is like insight or openness mm. and, you know, like You're talking about know.
0: psychedelic treatment or just therapy yeah. in general?
1: Psychedelic
0: treatment. Okay. So yeah. I, I feel like the to be a candidate for psychedelic treatment, being open would have to be a yeah. prerequisite,
1: right? right? Someone one.
0: like me that freaks out <laughs> at the hint of force it on
1: someone. Yeah. If we could, it would <laughs> open their mind. So that's one thing we should force.
0: <laughs> Maybe not traditional talk therapy, but yeah. you know, X and that could be something <laughs> worth uh, talking. Worth- yeah sing out <laughs> yes
1: but I don't know I mean what what's your because listen I've been to therapy I think as a kid like my mom you know she discovered therapy and and mm-hmm. I think she's she would say that it helped her kind of think about her childhood and her life in a different light and mm-hmm. you know um yeah maybe helped her in that way and so i i had therapy as a kid um and i would say i don't know like like how young
0: how how young were you dominique when you had therapy as a kid
1: um i want to say like third grade oh that's pretty young i had a lot of problems though
0: Was it like your typical emotional behavioral problems that, you know, therapy was the next uh, suggested intervention by a physician or or pediatrician? Yeah,
1: I think I think my circumstance probably has a whole complex surrounding it. Um, I think because I grew up with, you know, so many health issues, my mom and I was her first. um, My mom was quick to assume a problem and to want to get it treated and so i think again go you know being a kid with physical differences and feeling different and you know um moving around a lot like all these different things Mm -hmm. culminated in some um yeah anger issues um so I think I think that's where it came from. Um, but I don't know. When when did you go to therapy?
0: I was a, or did the, you
1: go
0: as a kid? I technically I was a kid. I was a teenager. And yeah. my first experience with therapy was when I was in residential treatment for anorexia. So I really yeah. waited until things got to the point where they were deadly or, you know, almost lethal. And I guess I don't necessarily think that. This is where I'm confused by my own stance with this issue is I don't think we should wait until you're suicidal um, or in a really unstable place mentally to go see a therapist. But I also think we need to be really careful about, you know, let's just use it as a proactive measure because how will we supply the demand for that?
1: I think the other thing is now things are, when you think about your childhood, things pop up. I don't know if that happened for you. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. So another reason why I went to therapy is because I had, like, really bad O.T. Like, not, like, not, you know. Like cleanliness. OCD. Yeah, right. cleanliness. No, I had, like, you know, um, Yeah thoughts that I couldn't get out of my mind that were disturbing to me mm. and I you know they would disrupt my daily living situation and like you know they would cause me anxiety and and so that that was the other reason and I I think that going to therapy helped that although maybe not in the long term it wasn't until I read this book on like OCD and intrusive thoughts that really oh. helped you know kind of really work with it um but So, so, and then the other thing that I was thinking of is I fear that bringing kids to a therapist today with the field that, or the state that it's in could be more detrimental. And what we want from our kids is to build that toleration Mm -hmm. and that resiliency. And I feel like in that sense, you have a really good point in that we don't want to bring kids to therapists unnecessarily. And then they actually come out being more sensitive or it can't tolerate difficult emotions more so. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a few aspects of this that you mentioned already. You you mentioned going to a therapist because it disrupted your daily life and it interfered essentially with your quality Mm -hmm. of life. I think that's a really important marker to go off of if we're seeking out a therapist. Again, do I think it needs to be at a severity level that it's destroying your quality of life? Not necessarily, but when we think about things like a breakup or being out of a job or maybe just a rough patch or the blues, I think those are silly reasons to seek out therapy yeah, to, to take away, again, that's taking up the couch of a therapist for someone that could be helping someone like you when you were really severe and, and intense in your thick of your OCD or me in the thick of anorexia. Um, I, I just, that's what I really keep going back to with- And I day.
1: also think like maybe it can be comparable to like an addict in a way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you would agree, but like- <clears throat> once you go to therapy enough times, and if you're truly invested, mm-hmm. like there are a certain amount of, of tools that therapists give to their clients. And yeah. at the end of the day, they can either use them or not use them. Right. And so yeah. like, you know, for example, a few months ago, um, I, <laughs> because my mom's a therapist, I, and, and, and therapy has been like, lauded in our household like mm-hmm. I kind of will think to myself well I don't know should I go to therapy again like do I feel like I need therapy and then but on further reflection I'll be like what today is a therapist gonna tell me that yeah. I don't know already like right not to be yeah. a you know a know-it-all but like you know I'm I'm in a field adjacent mm-hmm. you know I'm read right up on on the, the treatment modalities that are available. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been to therapy before. And mm-hmm. so like is it really a matter of, of giving me tools or mm-hmm. is it a matter of me utilizing these tools? And that's a that's a question of you know your own characteristics like as far you know when it comes to addiction too. Like right. you can only be given tools so much. Right. You know
0: it, it it the onus has to be on us at some point. And you mentioned yeah. something actually really interesting the way you worded it. Oh yeah. I did I know I think we're actually addicted to therapy. I think The act of seeking out a therapist and going to a therapist and listening to ourselves speak is its own weird placebo effect where we convince ourselves that something is changing, even though we're not applying all the skills that you just mentioned. So we're, we're trying to trick ourselves into believing I'm seeing a therapist. This is good for my self care or whatever people call it, but we're not utilizing any of those skills. We're just addicted to the process of being in therapy what do you think about that
1: so do you are you saying that maybe people who are in therapy would um give themselves a higher quality of life rating even if they're not actually implementing the tools but then yes. i would ask this question of mm-hmm. then in that case doesn't matter i mean then it's like Bro. i don't know because then it's like are you if if something works just because
0: you think it works, does it work or <laughs> mm-hmm. And what metrics are we left with then? Um, I would just wonder again, if this is a helping profession and we're working we're hoping to work with someone that's competent, at what point would that therapist say, you know, I think it's time for you to spread your wings. This is part of the plan. It was never the intention to see a therapist for a decade, but we have a lot of people that do see therapists for 10, 15, 20 years sometimes. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I- I um, that's really inappropriate. I think that kind of defeats the purpose of therapy.
1: Yeah, that's kind of ethically unsound, I would say. I mean, it happens in the realm of ABA as well. A like, percent. You- <laughs> we see that all the time (laughs) and I'm I'm kind of yeah I'm kind of honestly learning that too you know like I was telling you how I'm writing you know I'm like in the midst of it now like you can just keep writing rationales yeah yeah um yeah I know I don't I I almost I will take your assertion a step further and say it's not only not beneficial I think it has a potential for therapy, you know, for therapy to be harmful, you know, Um, depending on the therapist, because there's a lot of quacks out
0: there, you know?
1: Yeah, I Uh, mean,
0: Barry Weiss, one of her writers, I'm sure you saw it, or I don't know if you read it already, her article that came out today about the ideological capture of therapy, Uh, Mm -hmm. and this isn't to say that 100% of therapists are you know under this uh this hypnosis of ideology but a lot of them are a lot of young students are being taught that therapy is all about affirming and validating what your client believes and so that being said imagine hearing all of these coups for 20 years and Mm -hmm. then you know maybe your therapist dies maybe your therapist drops you maybe they go through their own mental crisis then what are you (laughs) left with you know? Yeah.
1: And also like it kind of ties back into this whole thing about, you know, everything being a trauma. Yeah. You know, like it, it's kind of just like I'm okay, I'm kind of on like a, a thing right now. I'm all about toleration training with my kids. <laughs> and <laughs> and even within myself, to- I mean, not to bring up my MDMA experience again, but <laughs> um but you know through that experience I really realized that my my one line that I kept ra- writing was it's just a feeling everything's just a feeling mm-hmm. and so like throughout the date like you know mindfulness I get it, it can be a little fatty and wooey um but I think that may be really the key mm-hmm. you yeah. know is tolerating strong emotions and yeah. sitting with them, and that's the problem we see with our kids, you know, in, in the ABA field, they mm-hmm. cannot, they, they get emotionally dysregulated, and they can't appropriately respond to the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a pervasive issue, and that maybe is the root cause of many adult mental anguishes.
0: Yeah, and, know, and I mean, medicalizing everyday frustrations is perpetuating our motivation to I think I need to see a therapist when before it would have been something where we might have tried to at least utilize whatever existing skills we had and then if we kept coming up short or we kept coming up feeling like we couldn't figure it out then therapy was almost this last resort uh sort of intervention that would take over but now it's you know what i'm not gonna try any of the tools i'm gonna go see a therapist and i'm just i'm not sure how helpful that is
1: so let me ask you this would you ever like what would be the point where you would be like okay i feel like i need a therapist because i feel like for me after realizing that like a few months back Mm -hmm. it would be a really high bar like okay here's another example like my boyfriend he had never gone to therapy before Mm -hmm. and i think initially i was like oh you like you should go to therapy and so he went to therapy to kind of get those base level tools but he's also like very much into mindfulness and buddhism and like he's an avid reader Mm -hmm. so like he's picking up these tools along the way in in other you know aspects um and so like at now i'm like yeah i don't even fucking know like you don't Yeah. Like what would be that like bar for you?
0: That's a great question. Honestly, I think the bar would be if I relapse and I went back into starvation to the point where I was, which prompted therapy for me seven, what, 17 years ago when I was, you know, I was starving, I was exercising for five, six hours a day. And the doctor said, if you exercise again, your heart might stop. That's what it took for me then, and quite frankly, I think that's what it would take for me now. I I have so and many. What tools. are the tools? like yeah, what I, have the
1: tools so, that they I have. I have
0: so many tools in my arsenal, and right. with an eating disorder, it's almost yeah. entirely related to tolerating the urges and the cravings. To, I mean, it's very similar to addiction. Um, and when you could learn to do that, and you could learn to the same way that I learned how to override essentially the need to eat i just found a way to channel that it took over a decade to do but i found a way to use that same perseverance to tolerate all of the shitty things that came up in my recovery and i think that toleration where we get to this peak of max the, the threshold of discomfort we like yeah. back up right away because a lot of mm-hmm. younger therapists are now suggesting that we back up,
1: and that's not what any sort of treatment modality suggests. Like in the literature, never. there is no like literature not never. in anxiety, in phobia treatments, and nothing. You know, no. So yeah, that's, it's okay. it's
0: crazy. It's it's absolutely insane. So yeah, while we're on the topic of. Of, uh, of treatment modalities, if you could even call it that, that are, I would consider, <laughs> <laughs> insane. I I talked to you a little bit before we started recording about these, these weird trends, made-up disorders, makeshift syndromes, and I joked that they're white woman diseases or uh, first world problems. I find it peculiar that middle to upper class white women are the ones who are pushing a lot of these theories through you you don't see a whole lot of other demographics supporting this type of stuff and i wanted your thoughts on that
1: yes i think it goes back to like well one you know the victim olympics mm-hmm. i think maybe that could be a source of some of it i also like uh what Someone you had on your podcast said, like, you know, diagnostic reparations. Right? Oh, that was so Adam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was listening to that today. And um, yeah, like, I kind of think that. Yeah, we're in this, we're in this time where a lot of people are getting diagnosed and then people think back to maybe their own past and they're like, oh, well, you know, I, I didn't quite fit in here or I didn't quite achieve this and maybe this is the reason you know because people humans like to um they're good at figuring out rationales for, mm-hmm. for things that are uncontrollable yeah. um I just think it's crazy I mean I think if you want to do you watch um what's it called the auto- the love on the spectrum yeah okay so I love that show and the psychologist she's not a psychologist. What is she She might be a psychologist, but anyway, the person who like comes to their homes and like gives them little social skills. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She has like, do you know how, I don't know if you remember her saying, but she's like, oh yeah, I was actually diagnosed with autism in my adulthood. And like, yes. this, this woman now, of course I don't know her, but like, she has she a job. She has three kids. She talked about like mm-hmm you know so i think when all the indicators of your life are you know ones of success and thriving and you don't really have any social deficits right. you know you you don't not have a job you don't mm-hmm. not have any you know like what is the point other right. than why go seek a diagnosis exactly
0: exactly That's what I it's the social currency and yeah. that's that's also kind of collapsed into this idea of everybody wanting to go see a therapist is everybody wants a diagnostic label when one difficulty used to be handled privately, maybe amongst yourself or within like close family, it wasn't broadcast to a social media, digital, or even public audience. And two, diagnoses were only sought out when we understood and recognized that whatever was happening was interfering pretty tremendously with our life. So yeah. when i see people that are saying you know i wonder if i have autism let's just go find out. It's almost like let's go see what what the new seasonal items are at trader joe's like that. Yeah. That's what comes to mind for me. It's like a seasonal menu
1: of things. Totally. And it, and you're so right. It's a it's a social currency. Like i mean i can see how i guess if you're an adult and you're thriving but you feel different Mm -hmm. and you you felt different all throughout your childhood i can see how having a label of autism may ease your anxiety or your you know social angst about being different and this is a explanation as to why you know you feel different Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I, I, it's useless. I don't, I don't yeah. get it. I, I don't get. It. I could somewhat empathize
0: with a need to explain something we can't explain. Like you said, humans are hardwired to want mm-hmm. to solve problems and fill gaps where we don't have yeah. enough information. the The common activist argument in this set, in this sense of you know, let's use the the coach in love on the spectrum. The activist. Yeah mantra or trope would be well she just seems like there's nothing wrong with her because she's masking all day you know the whole the masking argument
1: well I just came back from a client and if there ain't no masking involved like when you got you know actual autism, autism yeah yeah that's that's the question I always had about like people who claimed masking it's yeah. like well it's like saying I don't know, it's something similar to like, I have diabetes, but I can hide it if I'm at a fancy, (laughs) like, then you don't, like, then that's not what it is. Like, that's the whole thing. Having a disability is that, you know, like it or or not, you have these symptoms. Like, I don't know, is there any valid, you know, validity to masking? I don't, you know, beyond, if we look at this from a sociological
0: perspective, beyond very basic we adapt to our environment and to some varying degrees we observe and mimic the behavior of others because that's right. how we survived in tribal times. I think in that sense it's very adaptive to mask. So when yeah, it's but clean,
1: the, the thing about autism is that they're missing that ability to, exactly. socially, to have that social cohesion. Right, right. So that's exactly like if you're masking You're picking up on social norms, but that's actually a core symptom of autism, Mm -hmm. that you don't know how to, you know, like, uh, socialize.
0: Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. That's a really good point.
1: Because a lot of the people that
0: condemn masking are the ones that are, like you said, perfectly capable of switching their persona to, we'll just use my name, to work kayla to personal life, really? Kayla, to, you know, whatever, jujitsu, Kayla. Like,
1: we're very yeah.
0: good at, at monitoring how we behave amongst different people. And like, if
1: code you know, switching, could you say? Oh, code You're switching. Code switching? I don't is that, know. like... <laughs> is I mean, I know so- that that's a term that, like, you know, Black people switch, be- like, in their intonation and how they communicate sure. with... Sure black people versus white people but like i think it's kind of like what you're saying is code switching
0: yeah like you behave
1: differently in different contexts
0: yeah, exactly i mean that's human nature to do that and so to, to behave as if this is something that is you know the bane of an autistic person's existence and that they will cease to exist if they have to somewhat pretend to be someone else
1: yeah
0: and it's the highest functioning people that are condemning stuff like this it's not people well, that are actually affected by it
1: I will tell you this. So one of my one of my parents, we actually got into a brief discussion about this one time and she she was tiptoeing around the subject because you never know, right? You, she mm-hmm. didn't really know my opinions on it. Yeah, so I was yeah. like, yes, yes, but like she was like, honestly, I mean, the people who say that they have autism and then you see someone like my, you know child, um, it's 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 cr- Like she was like, you know, it obviously outraged her. So I think, like, again, but she was tiptoeing around the subject. Like, so that's why I think there is a bigger, you know, a silent majority, if you will, in, in this realm. Yeah.
0: What do you think it'll take for the silent majority to start speaking up? Because I think I would have, maybe I was naive in expecting that more people would be speaking out by now, but seem things don't really seem to have changed very much
1: again i think it's like that social cohesion right like people want to be accepted Mm -hmm. and when the narrative and in public everyone who is accepted is you know abiding by these ideological norms um i i think it's a unique characteristic that we have you know the outspokenness and the the you know i don't know if you know enneagram but like the chat you know we're challengers mm-hmm. you know um and we kind of, we're we're not agreeable we're probably very low on agreeableness um and that i think, think that's just so? yeah I would in, like humankind or no no, no me and you me and oh you.
0: oh yeah hell yeah, yeah. okay I yeah. was like I don't know that I agree
1: with that Dominique yeah no no no, no. <laughs> most people yeah most people are agreeable because they yeah. want to you know yeah. they want to meld with others
0: yeah and, and you know what even as people that would technically score higher on disagreeableness like you and me yeah. There's always going to still be some social motivation to somewhat conform. If if not, we would both be loners. We likely wouldn't have relationships and we'd be very lonely people. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm still just wrangling with, you know, my, my, the, the empathy I have for people that are scared to talk and speak out and the frustration I have with the fear that they
1: have. Well, this not- is what I think another thing about it is, is I think we are are more often confronted with these issues because we, number one, are interested in these issues. Mm-hmm. And number two, we're in fields of psychology and we deal with people and True. we're constantly interacting with others. But, um, you know, for example, like my boyfriend, he's a software engineer. And oh, so, wow. yeah, so he, um, you know, I think him and probably a lot of other people don't see the necessity in speaking out, perhaps. And so yeah. he, I think he would kind of maybe say like, oh, it's it's more trouble than it's worth. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's all just a big hoopla and it'll die down like I don't know if people um consider the implications to the extent that we have you know I don't know yeah that's a a
0: really good point I think for those of us that work with people and maybe see or, or foresee the potential really negative outcomes of this stuff it is kind of more at the forefront of our mind versus a software yeah. engineer who might be you know there might their their next biggest issue might be you know is chat gpt uh you know reading my mind or my email <laughs> yeah. so so i i can see where you're like more he might be more detached from from something and people pick and choose their battles i'm i'm you know understanding of that too I mean there are times when people say things that I completely disagree with and I don't feel the need to correct them or even share my opinion I just kind of nod and say like yeah
1: okay right great well I will say the one way that I've seen this new age ideology manifest uh, is taking that that SBT course that I told you about
0: about SBT (laughs) because I took it when it first hit oh you took it a couple years ago I think it was um when did it first hit you know when did it first go on sale is that even the right phrasing on sale when did it (laughs) it hit the
1: market when did it hit Um, the market let me google it yeah he did I think like the first one of the first ISCA um like papers was like 2017 okay and then it's been a few That's, years, and like 2019. I think another one. Um, yeah, I want to say, um, since like 2019, okay. but so this is something that I was thinking of that we might, I don't, I think I might disagree with you a little bit or, or just, I don't know. I'm trying to suss it out because did you take the, what, what kind of training did you take? I did the, what was it? The
0: 10-hour SBT. Okay, yeah. I did balance. Okay. Um, I can't remember at the time if the 10-hour SBT. Was that PFA and SBT? Yeah, that's what I'm taking now. Okay, got it. So just for people yeah. that are listening that might not know the acronyms sbt is skills-based treatment and pfa is practical functional assessment and both of these are used primarily in treating children with autism and related developmental disabilities um dominique i'll let you take away sbt because quite frankly i i really haven't thought about it much since (laughs) the the training i did
1: so so it's it's also known as like the my way training right Um, and the, the whole, like, foundational concept behind it is that kids... We, we don't have to have treatment in a way... Or we don't have to put behaviors on extinction um, and let them get so bad um, sure. and sure. and have children go through really high-intensity behaviors. We instead can reinforce lower intensity behaviors and teach them uh you know a functional communication response that's easy and that's taught you know accurately and so right. basically this this is in stages and the first stage is teaching the, the kid like a communication response and then after the kid is taught that um and then it all also throughout that when they engage in low intensity behaviors like you know hanley suggests to reinforce those mm-hmm. as opposed to reinforcing high intensity behaviors um and so they're taught the the fcr um or the the yeah the functional communication response and then they're taught a toleration response and so basically you know you'll place a demand on a kid and he'll say my way and you'll say not right now and then they'll either have to like give you a thumbs up high five say okay like whatever it is and then that's reinforced for a little bit right and then after that is pretty well like you know learned um Mm -hmm. then eventually it moves to you know not right now and then basically you know the duration is elongated from that like response very Um, gradual very gradually and I think and I want to hear more about like Because I I feel like you've also, like, researched this. And I think it's showing, it shows pretty robust, like, results in, like, controlled settings. Yes. Right?
0: Yes, it shows tremendous results. If you looked at, you know, a visual, if you at like a visual analysis of what this looks like, yeah, I mean, it looks crazy. That's what's very captivating, I think, about it. And I think what's what's also very challenging. One is the protocols are very labor intensive. They are very gradual to most lay people, or even like a paras or text or whatever. Uh, very in my personal opinion
1: unnecessarily complicated Um, maybe yes that's true and the other thing that I would add is like it I think the goal in this is to eventually um have the child generalize the skill in in the real life environment obviously but like in uncontrolled unpredictable situations and i think maybe one of the barriers to this treatment is honestly that it's taught in such a controlled setting like in one of the videos like um the kid was displaying behaviors when uh she couldn't find a puzzle piece Mm -hmm. and but the but the rbt or whoever was running it like had a puzzle piece and knew exactly where it was and so she could wait for like 10 seconds because she knew Mm-hmm. Because past trials that eventually... But, like, what happens when you really can't find a damn puzzle piece?
0: Exactly. You know? And what happens when, in the majority of cases, when you can't reinforce, you know, low-level <laughs> or Or what happens when, you know, you're in maybe a rush or your house is on fire? Like, literally, in an, uh, a situation that just happened with a mom and her... I think it was her son, their house burned mm-hmm. down. And they both died because she couldn't coax her autistic son out of the house. Like I think about what well, might be considered extreme, but they're very yeah. also possible circumstances. Mm-hmm. How, how would I don't see this translating well to real life. I think it's I think it's animal. hard. I think it's it, it feels too much like a scripted dress rehearsal for me to to buy into the idea that this is actually something that could transfer well
1: i think there's a lot of bugs and i i've actually seen it in real life be be conducted and there's a lot of problems like for example in in one of the observations i've i've seen is the kid was like i don't know if you're familiar with like the cabs. i am yeah so (laughs) they were on like cab three and so and the other thing is like he's big on SDs, and so like you clap when a demand is coming. But in real life, sometimes oh. the SDs are indistinguishable. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, I don't know. And so, so for example, the BCBA would clap, and then he would um, follow through with all the demands placed, um, or he would follow through with the uh, with the toleration response. But <laughs> the thing about it was. He wouldn't, he had an AS, AAC and he wouldn't seek out the AAC to, to um, like, emit the toleration response. Instead, right. if, if the AAC was not held up by the BCBA in front of him, like, you know, right there, or if he didn't, if it clicked and it didn't press, she'd have to re-prompt him to do so. So mm-hmm. it's just like, yes, in that singular, very specific context, maybe yeah. he can tolerate, But like, how is it going to generalize it? Right. And I don't think we've seen enough
0: data or or research actually showing how any of this generalizes to those situations where, you know, you're even like Hanley talks about changing your tone of voice so that your demand voice is different from your reinforce your that's fun another fc though that yes. like in real life Yeah, in real life sometimes it's like hey Timmy come sit your ass down because we have to get in the car and other times like happy birthday I love you your voice sounds mm-hmm. the same sometimes especially as you get older people aren't typically going to sit around and wait to make sure that they're tailoring their you know their intonation and the cadence of their speech to your liking nor should they um yeah. I think that's my issue my bigger issue is that we're going through all of this. I mean, have you seen the My Way to HRE group on Facebook?
1: No. Holy the shit. The HRE thing not being operationally defined. That, that yeah. Oh, my God. And, oh, and then there was a... um. <laughs> there's so many things. Um. So there, I just finished the section on trauma-informed practice. Oh, no. And so this is also now incorporated into the whole training. And I listen to Hanley talk about it like on the Matt zakoria show mm-hmm. and he will say like we we're not saying that kids shouldn't experience discomfort so right. he'll grant us that and I'm right. like okay yep. yeah but like I, you know and I think it's a good ethic to keep in mind that we don't want to you know put undue suffering on kids who already struggle with emotion regulation. Like, right. I think the core of where he's coming from, mm-hmm. there may be some truth to that, you sure. know? And that is a problem. Like, toleration is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it's not a good enough treatment because it can't be properly, properly generalized or it's too cumbersome. But like, I think that is a, a, a gap that needs to be filled.
0: I don't yeah. know. I feel like
1: I I more endorse it than you do.
0: Yeah. You endorse SBT more than I would, you're saying? Yeah, I feel like I'm more like about it
1: than you are.
0: Why do you think that is? Like what what is it about it that you think is
1: is a selling point for you? For me it's the toleration training. Like I remember um we had like a text conversation one day about like emotion regulation in kids with autism and like that is a you know that's one of the core symptoms. Yeah. And like that's a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I think school SLPs or OTs will will talk about like, oh breathing techniques. And you gotta teach them to weighted best. <laughs> weighted <laughs> vests. And like, oh the calm down corner or right. oh like if we just keep if we just uh you know show kids how to how to do mindfulness exercises. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think there is a step before that that's missing. And the step is sitting (laughs) with the discomfort. Yeah, like tolerating
0: that. Discomfort. The tolerance has to be. It is a prerequisite to any other skill being of any use. Like you could, you could yeah. be mindful all day long, but if, you, <laughs> it, it, but then it's, it's not even real. It's like this pseudo kind of counterfeit mindfulness. If you're, yeah. if you're not able to tolerate the discomfort, so in that sense, I, I'm in full support of the, the basic tenets of what. Yeah, the basic saying. I just think the way that it's being explained is pandering more to the white woman first world problem crowd um, than people that are actually kind of thinking critically about it. Because I think if it was uh, not even just, it shouldn't even be pandered to an audience. It should be something that is clinically sound. But I feel like it's becoming more about, you know, let's make sure that this will be socially approved by a large group versus let's make sure this is actually beneficial
1: well yeah I think you see that like there is um an aspect of Hanley's approach that is very you know he's marketing his product which you is you
0: know yeah business is business I'm business is business I appreciate and support
1: yeah and so like um you know I even saw that when I put uh, when I took the peak training like there's a there's a component of your marketing, like, oh, you can do this in under ninety minutes. Yeah, do it in under ninety minutes. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, w- I wish it was more scientifically rigorous, and it was, you know, it's, it's, um, it was more empirically like scrutinized. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to get there.
0: Why is it? Why? What might be some reasons for it not being? More heavily
1: scrutinized. Mm. Um, I would say because one high response effort. Right, you need to actually know the literature, read the literature, <laughs> and and then people don't like
0: it. to do that anymore. People don't like to. Read.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um so i would say that number one and then also i think it goes back to you know hanley oh this is the other thing i wanted to tell you so but okay hanley is just you know he's the hot topic in aba right everyone loves him Mm -hmm. everyone Mm -hmm. loves his his ethics you know we don't need to you know um torture kids and um engage in um you know escape extinction and there's better ways and so I think people want to be good people and they want to be liked by their colleagues and uh-huh. Hanley is a big deal and yeah. he's pretty handsome yeah and <laughs> the
0: field comprise of you know over 80 percent women it's almost right. like uh like yeah. what is he even saying because mm-hmm. wow that's salt and pepper hair but <laughs> yeah salt and pepper <laughs> but um- you're, you're- you're right. It's, you know, I forget what article I was reading, but um, they, they made the headline very clickbaity. Um, and in the entire body of the article, all they did was that placeholder, like, lorem ipsum dolor, like, and they just copied oh. it ipsum. And they quiz. they sent a survey out about if people supported or disapproved of the article. And people were responding as if they had read it. And w- without even realizing that there was nothing in the actual article. Oh, it was all nothing. just like placeholder. Yeah, that's
1: scary. Oh, that is scary. <laughs>
0: and I feel like that's what's happening in a lot of psychology fields is, ooh, the title, I agree with it. Or um, Hanley said it. I don't know. I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to agree with it. And there's no thinking beyond what we like.
1: I will also say that like, okay, so there's... um. Was the conference? I think ABAI is the conference that I was reading of like their um, what was upcoming in the in the conference in November? I believe it is, mm-hmm. and like all, literally all of the presentations. Can you guess? Were either ascent, uh huh, and a, or you know set based care and then treatment uh or um trauma informed. Yep. Yep. Care. And. I was, um, I was talking to one of my RBTs about this and, and she was, you know, similarly, she started off the conversation tiptoeing because she Uh wasn't sure what camp. And I think that is very telling of the context, you know, like when you're tiptoeing to, to, to guess what the other person's opinion on the subject matter is, that should be a red flag in people's minds, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she was saying, like, yeah, you know, I don't know about this ascent-based care. And, you know, my company has really taken a hold of it. And she was telling me how there's other BCBAs in my company that will, like, reject IP goals because they don't have enough ascent-based, you know, practices in them. Um, and she was like, I'm I'm concerned because she's on the route of getting her BCBA as well. Right. Um And so, again, it goes back to that, like, silent majority. Um, Yeah. 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 You brought up the
0: good point of this reminds me of, you know, what was it, a year, two years ago, the whole trigger warning um, argument. And yeah, we saw some extreme examples of trigger warnings where, oh, if you're going to talk about something potentially difficult, make sure you tell your students, I think that's bullshit. I think that there there is something to be said about being you know, if you're a human with any shred of compassion, you're gonna be mindful of people's experiences. Like with my students, yes. there there have been times where I tell them, you might see some stuff today that you likely haven't seen ever, and it might make you a little uncomfortable. Mm. And I will say that is that technically a trigger warning? Sure but i don't change what i say because of the fact that people might get upset about it and i'm yeah. finding that people are are literally just distorting or watering down the truth depending on who they talk to like the rbt that you mentioned i think that's really unfortunate that we're modeling that type of communication
1: and and to to be clear i don't blame her in any way you know of i think not. No. i think most people I mean, again, Kayla, like, you know, a few years ago when I was working for a university as a research um, assistant, we had DEI trainers and I, after the two days got kicked out because I, I'm yeah. not, you push like, back on uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can almost, it can, yeah. Like this characteristic that we have is almost, is it, it's very, it's a little antisocial in that, you know, I mm-hmm. don't. Place a, ho- I place a higher priority on honesty and truth than I do on my own social co- cohesion within a group. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't think that anything, you know, I don't think she did anything necessarily wrong, but it's just the way things are right now. Um, but yeah, I forgot where I was going. Oh, trigger warnings. So I think the difference is when you give someone an out like that's, what yes. really go, right? that's a good point the yeah they're, they're
0: like the i'm gonna tell you something bad is coming here's an escape just in case yes. you it versus yes. this is gonna be hard let's do this mm-hmm. exactly so. okay i have a weird perspective now that just popped into my brain mm-hmm. is it- the way that SBT is taught, listen. You know what? I'm not gonna pick. I've been picking on SBT, everything related to <laughs> Hanley for the last off? for the last month. Um, yeah. Any, let's just say any intervention that calls for excessive use of, okay, something bad is coming. Okay, something bad is coming. Now is one you. Da-da-da-da. Are we conditioning our clients to only respond appropriately if there
1: is a trigger warning?
0: Or am I just trying to connect things because my brain wants to connect them?
1: <laughs> so wait, can you rephrase that in a different way? That like- Yes, yes. So the way that some interventions
0: are taught, we work, see, that's the thing, is there's no other interventions right now that like other than SBT that, that are very, uh, they have an emphasis on that SD and basically informing the client that something bad is coming. So instead of just saying, Put on your shoes. You're like clap your hands, lower your body. Okay, Timmy, put your shoes on. Is that a form of a trigger warning? And how, if so, how functional is that? And if not, where am I wrong?
1: Well, yeah, you're you're kind of making me think about it differently because you're right. Hanley is all well, not not just taking SBT, but like yes, the presentation of the SD that a worsening conditioning is is coming. You know, Mm -hmm. that's like he's all about um what's it called? Like slowing the EO. Like you know, giving and that is kind of like a known antecedent strategy. That's why we give kids visuals or you know, first then boards or like things like or timers, that's another good example, I would say. Mm -hmm. So like that's an accommodation to their disability, which often includes um, unable to transition smoothly or, you know, kind of, I don't know, switch what they're doing. Like, like emotionally regulate in that sense where you're like, okay, I'm all done with this thing. Let me do something else. Um. So, but I think you have a great point when you say like, you know, that's not the world. And so I think like, that's a big barrier in treatment of ABA in general is that there are are endless amounts of contingencies that cannot be controlled. Mm -hmm. And if they could be, that would be a different story. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, I don't know. That's like, that's the big issue. That's the big question. Yeah, I
0: mean, my like my husband, he works with adults, so they're most of them, mm-hmm. I think, are between like twenty five and forty. Uh, is they, he BCBA, too? No, he's like oh. a safety, the crisis interventionist, kind of like RBT oh. type of role. Ish. I have no idea what they call roles where he is. <laughs> he's in the okay. field, and he's been in the field as about as long as I have, and you know his his program, they don't um necessarily harp on token boards and timers and all those things for adults thank god but i've seen endless programs for these adults because in our field no i don't think we consider what all of this stuff looks like when they're 22 and a half and they age out of therapy so what we see as we're accommodating their disability okay great what is that going to look like when they're 30? Are you going to hightail it after them with a token board and a timer? And let's just say that was realistic. Let's indulge the fantasy that we live in utopia. What about dignity? Is it dignified to chase after a 30 year old with the idea that he can't possibly handle what's coming next unless I tell him?
1: Well, that's I would say where my issue yeah. comes in. I agree with you. I think maybe that maybe people frame it differently. Like I think at the end of the day, autism, real autism is <laughs> pretty major disability, like to Absolutely. not have that ability to emotion. think about the amount of times that, you know, you have to regulate your system throughout the day. And mm-hmm. I know that's such an elusive term, but like kind of just you know, recompose yourself, um, bring yourself back to baseline. I think that and then also um, the language barriers, I almost think that that comes secondary. I Mm -hmm. I think from what I'm finding in my practice is that it's the emotion regulation piece that is hard. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, when you look at literature on emotion regulation, in typical kids, it develops you know, it it continues to develop until early adulthood. And, you know, boys are much slower than girls. And it's that prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, that's almost like they were born with a missing, (laughs) I don't know, like, yeah, a a missing lake, Like, they have a part of their body that mm-hmm. I don't know, like it, it does disable them. And yeah, so definitely. there there is an aspect of like we can teach them these skills, but at the end of the day, because of the disability, like, yeah, I don't know. That that's what I grapple with.
0: Yeah. And I mean, while we wrap up here, I think I get this is probably one of my my opinions that I get the most blowback mm-hmm. for is a lot of these people reach a ceiling with their skill set i mean
1: my question
0: there's only so much yeah. these people there's only so much they could learn and i i just i don't i i just don't know what we think we're doing when, when we come up with all of these ways that you know that are We think they're signs of empowerment or acceptance, which I also appreciate, don't get me wrong. Um, But we don't think long term. We have this very like myopic little view of this six-year-old is, you know, whatever you want to call it, dysregulated right this second. Okay, well, so what you're, you're going to take 14 weeks to, to teach him how to sit down in a chair, like, <laughs> because you're scared of a trauma response or, or whatever it is. And like, how is that going to
1: transfer into his adult life is the thing, though, Kayla, about that is what is the alternative treatment modality?
0: true i don't in, know if there the, is one in, yeah like in the context of hitting a ceiling because a lot of the again a lot of these kids their their intellectual abilities or developmental abilities only allow
1: them to master a certain set of skills i don't and know. i i think that's a thing within our field too is that we you know humans are very uncomfortable with being with not being in control mm-hmm. and so you know, even the thought, like, I've even brought this up with, with special ed teachers, like, no one is come, everyone is uncomfortable with the thought that, oh, we've taken this kid as far as, as far as he biologically will go, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a, that's a, I don't know, ethical question, like, it should be, do we keep trying, do we not, like, but I think it really comes down to people are uncomfortable with, the thought that we don't have control over a lot of these things and we have no answers either and no answers
0: no alternatives it's just we're kind of like floating yeah limbo like and that's i think where we start grabbing onto anything that we feel like fits and i don't and i'm not saying that in a way that's judgmental or blaming people because we all do yeah um yeah that's really interesting that uh thanks dominique
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like I go back to that thought a lot. Like in 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 many things, you know, when it comes to the racial injustice questions that we face, you know, people, you know, want things to be a certain way or want society to run a certain way, and when it doesn't run that way based on just the laws of nature mm-hmm. or just, you know, um yeah determinism like deterministic it yes. yeah um, people are unsatisfied and they they want to we want to feel a sense of control you yep. know same mm-hmm. with covid same with like so many things mm-hmm. um that's that's my two cents
0: <laughs> that was a very light
1: note that we
0: uh <laughs> that
1: we, we have, have no control
0: we have no control we are all fucked Mm-hmm. Have a good evening, everyone.